0: This podcast is brought to you by the Qualcomm AI Stack. Qualcomm AI Stack is a unified AI toolset designed to help developers optimize and deploy AI models quickly on their products. Go to qualcomm.com slash overflow to get started. If you're listening, make sure to use that link and let them know the podcast sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by the impresario of our blog and newsletter, the reformed and retired technical writer, Ryan
1: Donovan. Hey, Ben. Got a, got a comment that somebody appreciated the increasing uh, size of my title, so keep up the good work. Yes.
0: I like <laughs> to change it up every time. But Ryan, you helped to set up today's episode. Yeah. So. Give us uh, a quick intro on what we're going to talk about.
1: So I, I reached out to uh, Dana Lawson for a blog story, and she's at Netlify, and they're big on the Jamstack, and she's also a very charming conversationalist. So I figure we could talk about the state of the web, Jamstack, and uh, how AI is going to affect all of that.
0: All right. Jamstack, AI, state of the web. I am ready. Dana, welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Ryan and Ben. You know, as a long-term technologist, I'm a huge Stack Overflow fan. I think I've learned most of what I know from that website.
0: Oh, I love to hear it. We won't ask you to, to share your username or number if you have. And we won't out you on the show, but <laughs> we appreciate you getting some knowledge and maybe sharing some. So I guess, yeah, let's start with what you're doing these days. Tell us a little bit about your role at Netlify and you know, where that kind of fits in with, as Ryan mentioned, the state of the Jamstack.
2: Oh, well, at Netlify, I'm the senior VP of engineering, but I also dip my toes and run our technical support and customer success team because Mm. I love people. I love technology and I love even more how people use it. So it's kind of cool as an engineering leader to see like the like kind of post sell cycle and get some insight. But I'm into the Jamstack, but word on the street, (laughs) y'all, is Jamstack (laughs) is now composable web, Uh, not compostable. That means trash web, I think, but composable web. And to me, that's a more relevant definition of what the actual premise of this was meant to be. And it's pretty exciting just with everything that's happening in the space with these amazing JavaScript frameworks and these awesome runtimes that are now becoming a commodity. So it's a, it's a great time to be an engineer, I think, especially with AI.
1: Nice. It's almost like turning the web into a little Lego building blocks. Totally.
2: I think that's the perfect definition of it. And, and that's really, in my opinion, how we've de- evolved into really more being cloud native with our approach to, you know, digital products and software development. And nobody wants vendor lock-in. And it's kind of the final piece to move fast with the rest of the community by being able to have Legos that mm. just work with everything. So I love it. But I'm a, I don't know, as you can't tell, I love all of it.
0: Yeah, I had read an article along these lines, you know, the future of Jamstack is composable. My recollection was that they said, you know, there's kind of this this daunting task, composing headless sources together into a cohesive experience. So can you talk a little bit about how GemStack composability works to allow for that kind of cohesion? And, you know, I think a lot of people, like you said, part of what they like about headless is portability, moving away from vendor lock-in and things of that nature.
2: Oh, wow. There are so many cool ways to do it now. And this is where, you know, I was really attracted to Netlify after spending you know, about three years at GitHub and thinking about developers for any kind of development process, no matter what you're jamming on, being able to dip my toes and really focus on the web developer has been so interesting. And I think it needed that that next level of abstraction to bring it all together and have that ease of management because there's so many unfederated tools in this space and in technology. And, you know, you saw Kubernetes tackled this for infrastructure. And I think, you know, what we're trying to do in the space of composable architecture is have have that great experience where you can, you know, really own it from idea to cloud and be able to ship these websites independently. And that was the dream of it to be, you know, not only composable, but self-reliant so that you can innovate quicker. And so at Nelify, you know, we're approaching that way of saying, we know that, the underlying toolset will continue to evolve and be created and curated. But how do we keep that developer experience not to change so much? Because I don't know about you all mm-hmm. talking to developers. We don't like our workflow messed with. Once you <laughs> set it in, you're like, what? What do you do with changing my workflow? And so I think that it's very important to have that view on, on especially as composable architecture continues to pick up steam and headless. And, With Netlify specifically, I don't know if you caught this in the news, we just uh, announced a new product, Netlify Connect. We know that one of the biggest problems is headless CMSs because it's like, you want to try everything when you go into this new world, but then you have a menagerie (laughs) of different CMS types. And that hasn't been tackled in a lot of ways for this type of architecture. And so we recognize that architects were stuck saying, how am I going to get an opportunity to modernize my my Jamstack or my composable stack because I'm stuck on my CMS. So we were like, you know what? Let's make it not be a problem. Let's bring it all together and homogenize it. Now you can you can move your data where you need to. So that's the way we've kind of thought about this. I don't know this final leg of of Jamstack or composable, whatever we want to call it today, because data is the final frontier of really saying how can I have this be even more meaningful than a static web page. They're no longer just static web pages.
1: Yeah, you're, you're pulling from a bunch of data sources. I was working with Jean Yang of Akita on a blog post, and she was talking about APIs almost as like low code. Do you think composable architecture is sort of moving towards like a less code world for web pages? Absolutely.
2: I think all software development is moving towards a low, no code well, not a no-code, a low-code approach, because you want to simplify the minutiae. Like, that's not what you want to spend your precious creative time. You want to spend it in the, the harder to tackle problems. And I think that if people are not developing APIs in the way that we see the modern tool set becoming simplified, like, why would you why would you use that? I don't know about you. Nobody likes reading API specs.
1: Sure.
2: I mean, right. maybe you do. I, I <laughs> I'm just like, man, I love having one if I need it, but I'm certainly not going to just peruse it in my free time. And I think, you know, to have a really good developer experience stuff should be intuitive.
1: <laughs> as a yeah, as Ryan a Ryan has a guilty look on his face. Yeah, as a former API spec writer. You a writer. <laughs>
2: I love them. Like, it's a requirement and you want to have it in your back pocket, but developers are so lazy. Like, that's why I like Stack Overflow. I'm like, I could go into our document repo, but I could just Google it up or Stack Overflow. But I, oh, you've got to have them there. So no, Ryan, your work is not for naught. As, as an SRE by heart, It is. Mm.
0: it is required. I wanted to learn a little bit about your background. Ryan had told me that you were in the military and I'm just kind of curious... What was your path to, you know, working in the world of software and technology?
2: Oh, man, it's such a weird story. But, you know, now that there's more randos in tech, hopefully won't be as weird for a lot of people to not come through a traditional path. Because I certainly did not, y'all. You know, I don't know. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, out in the desert, and I didn't know what I was going to do and be with my life. And I actually thought I was going to be an artist, you know. But then I was like, dang, being poor is not the funnest thing. And most people are starving artists. There's a reason they're saying So I tried that out and I realized, ooh, this isn't for me. But in college, I had the opportunity to take, you know, some digital art classes, graphic design, Adobe. And back then, I don't want to reveal my age, 27 for life. But (laughs) we we were really just starting to experiment, you know, in the late 90s, in the mid 90s of really like how websites are created. And so, you know, I had my Microsoft front page. I got to dabble in that. Long story longer, on a whim, I joined the U.S. military. And I was like, whoa, look at this new field. Informa- what was it called? We were called, uh, I know my old title, 7-1-Bravo, but basically information systems administrator, developer, something really bloated, very vague, right? They're like, we know computers are here, so we got to do something with them. We know software is here, so we got to do something. And my thought was, wow, I could be in the army and be inside because computers need air conditioning. So that's really how I got into this, <laughs> was sheer, like a Like the developer I aspire to be, incredibly lazy. I was like, U.S. Army, air conditioning, computers, the secret sauce. But what really happened was I loved it. You go to like a 12-month school. You learn everything from networking to programming. And it's still the military. You're pulling like 12, 13, at least in my time, you're pulling 12, 13 days because they still didn't really know what to do. They're like, we have these nerd soldiers. (laughs) And so it got me started on this. And I I loved it because I got to serve our country, build the applications and manage them and learn SaaS before SaaS was really this real thing. And so that just continued on. And I got out and I ran my mouth and they're like, okay, listen, you keep telling everybody what to do. Maybe you should be a manager. And I was like, okay. And I love people so much and I have such empathy. So it just set me on this course because I'm a very curious individual. And so I've worn a lot of hats in this over 20 plus year journey. And yeah, you know, I think that, that people with a growth mindset and especially curious engineers can, can do anything and, and anybody can do anything. And, um, it's just grit and determination. And so I don't have a very formal background.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, you got to uh, stay off the front lines. You got to serve your country. You got air conditioning and you got you got paid to learn all this stuff. You yeah. didn't have to pay them. They paid you.
2: They paid me. And like, you know, did I still have to do basic trading and shoot some shit? Of course I did. That was awesome. <laughs> but but it really, I got the, the bug because I was working in government contractings outside of this because I had a clearance. And like when you have a clearance, like you get this little niche of, interesting things you can work on. So I work for the an enrichment facility, a uranium enrichment facility, first one in the United States since 1973, wow. which is really interesting. And then, you know, I've landed into um, just the startup world. And I've been, in, I've been in startups and then, of course, GitHub, not a startup anymore because that passion of innovation and curiosity. And that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years.
1: You uh, mentioned earlier that uh, you moved, you're, you're now focusing on the front-end wor- world. Uh, is there something... That you miss just by focusing on the front end? Is there a part of the the computer world that you're like, ah, I wish I was doing this?
2: Well, the cool thing is we're building a platform for front end developers, but it is not built, you know, composed like a Jamstack. I mean, Netlify has you know a global CDN, which is content delivery network system. We have an edge runtime, which is an abstraction of you know traffic patterns, and again, more networking, more more of that infrastructure type work. Which always scratches my itch. In addition to that, we have this web presentation platform. So it's really, it's really interesting. I get to at work scratch all the itches from Kafka to Apache Traffic Server, Kubernetes to every JavaScript framework you could probably yeah. imagine. Uh, because we support them all, we use them all. You know, we, we eat that that dog food on our front ends. But you know, it. I do still, I still noodle about that full stack because I'm always going to be that full-stack person because I'm a terrible web developer. <laughs> like, CSS and me are not friends. Even though I have an art background, I'm just like, why? I'm more like jazz art, you know, sure. like, let it flow. CSS is, is you, you know, I just write JavaScript to change DOM. It's terrible. Like, you don't want me touching your stuff.
1: CSS is just really complicated paint-by-numbers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the attention span to do that. Like, I don't finish it. I'm like, I get to, like, a few. I'm like, we're done. <laughs>
0: You mentioned before that you felt like everything, you know, to the degree that developers are able to do it would move towards, you know, a low code no code because folks want to automate, they want to move fast, they're more interested in building things and finding product market fit and getting that stuff out there. Not to say that some people won't be building new things from scratch or coming up with algorithms, but the majority of web developers, right? So what's your take on the use of, you know, AI tools whether that's in the IDE or, you know, you're having a conversation with it when you're trying to come up with some of your initial ideas? And it's giving you code snippets. Maybe it's writing a function for you. You know, you have a bug and you ask it why, and it gives you a suggestion. How do you think these tools are going to be used by developers? And if you've used them yourself, what are some of your suggestions about how to use them well?
2: Yeah, and I'm trying not to be biased here, Ben. I was at GitHub for three years. Like I was, you know, original. I'm a leader, so I ain't going to take no credit for my wonderful engineers. But I was a part of the early discussions with Copilot with the crew. Right. Um, and so, like, we saw this future coming. I was like, it's here. And and it's funny because we we keep <laughs> interchanging AI and machine learning. A lot of the stuff is machine learning, but I don't want to get semantics. Like, I'll let the internet fight that one. I just feel like if you aren't embracing the future, which is here, just like we did with serverless. Like, when Node.js came out, people were like, you going to get adopted. And it was a slow burn for mm-hmm. Node to pick up Steam. You know, Kubernetes what we can go back and look at all of the advancements in the space, like mm. AI, ML are here, and you should embrace it. And all the things that you called out, why wouldn't you, as a developer, want to be efficient? Why? I don't know. Once again, I don't want to spend any time having to do things that can be automated and just simple. Like, and it takes minutes and effort and energy and brain power. You know, because unfortunately, us humans don't have an endless supply. We have to rest, (laughs) relax, and recuperate, recharge our batteries. But if we take out some of that that mental need for for repeatable tasks, you're opening up your cognitive load. Yeah, right. You are. And so I say, why wouldn't you do that and spend it on something more important?
0: You remind me of a piece I wrote, I think it was back in like 2017 or something, but it was one of the first AI systems to play Texas Hold'em at like a competitive level. And so, you know, they sent it to Vegas and it played against all these other people. And I I remember interviewing them because the tournament went on for a few days. And one of the things that they said was like, it's just so brutal because it doesn't need to sleep. Like it comes back to the table, day two, day three, day mm-hmm. four, same as before, whereas like I'm burnt out. You know, I've been sitting at the table 12 hours, then I go back and think about all my moves. I try to figure out what I did wrong. The AI was just as sharp on day four as it was on day one. So ended up taking the uh taking the pot.
2: Exactly. So I think as humans, like It's one of the harder things to crack when you really get into a state of flow and you're grinding, you know, I don't know about you all, but like, I can shut out the world, Mm -hmm. but then you come out the other end of this really productive week and you're like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to look at anybody. I just want to like, once again, like shut off. That's why I say like these tools can be that part where you don't so that you can actually maximize and increase the things that are important. And that's the way that I look at it. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not. Because I think we have a very strong developer community built on open source and regulation will come from the developer community about putting those constraints on. We've seen it over and over and over again Mm -hmm. with the adoption of open source utilizing in other ways. Like we've all centered on licensing models. You can use it this way. You can't use it that way. So I think there's going to be an interesting time with these tools for all of us. And it's not going to stop. So be a part of it and be on the good fight think about it in a good way. And that will be more interesting,
1: I think, for a lot of us as engineers as we go into this new territory. Yeah, you mentioned about uh, licensing models for open source. Do you think that people can can actually use the licensing models to like force people to do good with the software or not do harm?
2: I mean, I hope so, because I think one of the challenges with what is happening is it's so obfuscated on what's actually going on Mm, and how the modern models are created. And if we can come and say, like, you can't change the model, think about like GLP and GLP one. And it's like, you can use it, you can't distribute it and you can do this, but you can do that. I think there needs to be some kind of thinking when we, we standardize, but it's an interesting one because it's a data, it's a data problem, but the models dictate the types of data you're going to pull in. Right. And so I feel there's an opportunity there and you can probably see this in some places, but when you get to licensing and regulations and compliance, it's always lagging. Mm -hmm, Like, you, you know, if you go through any kind of compliance as a software company, there's going to be things coming out that aren't even understood and documented yet. And so you have to kind of like figure it out as you go. And that's, that's kind of where we're at. But I do feel like, there can be a real possibility for the community to kind and of do some self-regulation, but it, it's going to take a lot of us.
0: There's been some really interesting stuff happening on the legal side. You know, there's been challenges saying this borrowed my open source code and, you know, it wasn't licensed for you to then distribute it, you know, and charge commercially. Or, you know, it seems as though, you know, there's an, there, there was recently a motion in that. To, oh, it seems as though you're borrowing it and then trying to change it just enough, you know, so that it wouldn't. And then I've seen on the other side, you know, uh, we talked with the folks who are writing Google's Duet, which, you know, is supposed to be coding with you. And they say they ingest a huge amount of you know, data, like you said, to do the training, but then specifically go through it. And if it seems like it has restrictive licensing, they chuck it out so that, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to have to think about that legal challenge in the future. Right. And even at Stack Overflow, you know, we've been thinking about this a lot. Nobody knows what's in the black box, but, you know, if it was trained in some way on Stack Overflow data, you know, ours is not licensed for commercial use. It's out there for folks who want to do nonprofit or academic. And we also want to make sure that, as you mentioned before, all the folks who helped you learn and continue to help others learn get some kind of credit, right? Like, can there be attribution or, you know, can you get a certain number of stars or whatever it may be, you know, if your wisdom helped the machine help other people.
2: There has to be some constraints around it, I, or or you're going to have this closed software loop again. And this mm-hmm. is where I think it gets dangerous and scary again, right? The reason that we as a community said, let's do open source, because we want to be transparent about what we're building. We want people to understand. We want people to participate. If we have closed systems, you have opportunities for bad actors. You have all these different ways that you you just don't know what you don't know. And, I th- and this is why I love open systems and, and working in this way is because you can get ahead of it you can see beyond it and it gives you that level of transparency which sounds like an anti pattern but actually it's when stuff gets closed down in my opinion so mm-hmm. i do also agree like you know give credit where credit is is due come on now let the community shine that's how you participate people want to be acknowledged for their work it's one of the, the tenets of living and and feeling productive and enjoying your livelihood is celebrating the accomplishments that you have and giving back and service to the community
0: All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. Let's shout out someone from the community who came on and helped us save a little knowledge from the dustbin of history awarded two days ago to high Saif. How can I print to a standard air and see with print F? If you've ever wondered how to do this and you needed an answer, now you have one. Thank you so much, Saif. You've been awarded the lifeboat badge and you've helped over over 400,000 people. We really appreciate it. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the program, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps.
1: I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. It's stackoverflow.blog. And you can find me on Twitter at Arthur Donovan.
2: I'm Dana Lawson, SVP of engineering at Netlify. And you can't find me on the internet, but you can find me at (laughs) netlify.com.
0: All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.